It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Here we are. And the lady just said, Love Talk Radio. (laughs) (laughs) This is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin. Happy to be here this morning with my good friend. No kidding, my really good friend who I absolutely respect, admire, and love dearly, Dr. Charlie Cartwright. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. How are you? Pretty chipper. How are you? Doing awesome. Doing awesome. Been another great week. You know what? It has been another great week. And you know, I have to tell you, I am I am just stunned, really, at how quickly the weeks are just flying by. You know, like I'm in my calendar, you know, my our our, our annual appointment books, right? And I have a month at a glance, and then you know, each week, I'm just I'm delighted at how my days fill up, but I've got so much more to do than what I have time accomplishment. I think about staying up late and getting up earlier, and then I think, all right, there's the squeeze on my rest. <laughs> you can't do it. We need our rest, right? 100% we do. As I say, make them night-night. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once upon a time I had a full team working for me domestically and in my business, and I could every now and again escape for a nap. Not now. Not now. It's like that was way back yonder. There's no such thing as that now. So, um, same, same for you, right? Yeah, it is. It's been, um, that's been one of the challenges. Everybody's had different challenges, but that has been one that the team has reduced, and I'm having to do, um, wear multiple hats. So, yeah. Yeah, me too. Flattens my hair. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I've been watching Dashcam Wisdom, and I want to talk about some of that. I want to talk about, uh, and this has been, this has been a theme for me for literally as long as I can remember my, my whole life, health. Mm -hmm. What are you doing living inside of this body of yours? And you don't know the interior of your body as well as you know the interior of your car. Right. What in the world? So how did you get on that that subject that day? Fess up. Yeah, it's just I think that when I contemplate where we're at in this nation when it comes to our health and how our outcomes for COVID have been worse than anyone else in the world, really, right? I don't know. And, and it shows that um, statistically, it shows that more with that, more infection, more death. And to me, it shows how unhealthy our culture has become. And so I think if we had a healthier culture, this thing would not have had the impact that it's had. Also, 
<clears throat> the CDC came out uh, last week, I believe it was, and said that 94%, this is the data, 94% of the people that have died as a result of COVID had at least two comorbidities. A friend of mine said it was 2.7, so it was almost three comorbidities. So what that means is they had at least two or more um, illnesses that were chronic. Okay, so these aren't just, you know, hay fever and, no, these are chronic conditions like heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, liver disease. I mean, these are serious conditions. So people had at least two serious conditions. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you know, the flu hasn't gotten received nearly the intention that COVID did, but you know, we look at flu deaths and it's somewhere 50,000, 60,000 annually. You never hear about it, but it's somewhere in that neighborhood mm-hmm. that I would bet the farm, if, and I, I had research to see if there's studies out here, I bet the farm that people that die from the flu, same situation, no more than. And then I believe also 60% of the deaths for people 75 years and older. So if I had to guess, I bet it would really be similar statistically on what causes this thing. So in my mind, the vast majority of comorbidities are preventable. You can't prevent aging, okay? So 75 and older, you're getting close to the life expectancy anyway. However, these comorbid conditions, you know, for the most part are lifestyle related and people are not taking time to, to know about their body. If you are getting ready for football season here, right? And I think it's Thursday. The season kicks off and Kansas City Chiefs are playing. And so I'll be watching. But there are people that know more about that football team. I'm talking about in this city. Yeah. They won the world championship. People know more about that football team than they do about their own bodies. And that's just not good. You know, one of the things, you're, you're on the same wavelength. We're on the same wavelength. Um, the comorbidity thing is really interesting because, first of all, I've been saying all along, these numbers are very inflated when you're coming into the hospital and you, and they're pushing the diagnosis. It, it's just a wrong thing, and there's all kinds of, of bad things that happen in the business of medical care, okay? But, um, I mean, as soon as we started allowing accountants to dictate in insurance companies what physicians can do for their patients. They don't have, they don't have the bandwidth to know what to do with patients. The, the experts do, the care providers do. But, but here's the thing that really um, is so true. Uh, the, the comorbidity issue, people don't think of the real terms. Comorbid means these are deadly. You know, you think you're fine when you have a pulmonary, a respiratory issue, and you're on oxygen, you're on inhalers, you're on pills. You're not fine. When the same thing when you have cardiovascular disease. You know, these diseases are recoverable from. And you're saying, you know, the lifestyle issue being involved in most of them. The lifestyle is actually involved in all of them. I mean, we need to we need to really pause. And, and think our way through the reality that we flew our spirit into this vehicle that we're in. No matter how you want to look at it, we landed in here. 
And this is the most comfortable vehicle we're ever going to know. I don't care what kind of chair you get or what kind of car you get. If you're not comfortable in this vehicle first, then no chair or car is going to satisfy you. The, the, other, the other part of this is, you know, I, I, I wrote about it. I tried to, I, I guess I, I, I don't have enough authority. No one knows who I am or who we are. But I tried to approach news outlets saying, hey, I got an idea for you. Everybody's at home. We can teach everybody about anatomy and physiology. And we can teach people how to boost their immune system. And we can be the world leaders on health and well-being. Why not? It's a huge industry. I think it's second only to what we do for our pets. And pets might be even more important than human health and well-being, you know. But it's so it's so wrong. And I'm going to use a really filthy word. It's stupid. It's stupid. I, I will say to people in events, you know, or if I'm working with somebody personally, one-on-one. So you're not feeling well. Do you know where your heart is located? Oh, yeah, from saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Okay, that's a start. Do you know where your lungs are? Do you know where your kidneys are? Do you know where your liver is? How about your adrenal glands? And what's the pituitary? You know, where's your appendix? And and people don't know. And that hurts my heart because... People go to their physician and put physicians under or the nurse practitioner under pressure, or they go to a, a, an urgent care facility. They don't have a relationship with their care provider. Their care provider doesn't know them well, only knows them intermittently when they're sick. So that's not helpful. The physicians that I work with, you have to come in when you're well because they want to know you this way. My patients in the hospital, I bring in photographs of them. You know, here's here's what they looked like when I knew they were well. Here you go. You know, take care of this part of them. But here's the point. People say, hey, hey, doc, hey, nurse, make me better. You, make me better. That's like in a love affair when you say to somebody, hey, you, make me happy. No. We have to turn this whole thing around. And it's not too late. We still have time. But, you know, Charlie... To boost the immune system, there's all this rich, credible information out here about how do you do that? Well, I got a clue for you. It begins with what you do in your thinking. This is the most powerful immune boosting tool we have, right? Mm-hmm. It's so true. I had um, I made that post this week about it, and one of my uh, folks in my network said she'd never heard that term, microbiome. And she said, my goodness, what a wealth of information when she hit the button. And it comes up. She had no idea. And so she was super excited about learning and, and then implementing some of these things. And it's a real, very simple thing, very fundamental to understand how it works yep. and then how to support it. Yep. And just that just managing your your microbiome in and of itself would be a significant boost to to your health because it's so interesting that there's so many behaviors related to our to our microflora craving. You know, we say, oh, I just crave sugar, I'm craving sugar, I'm craving sugar. No, 
Actually, it's your microbiome that's creating <laughs> sugar, and it's control all those little microorganisms saying, see that, because that's what they want. Right. So it's interesting how the microbiome that's proliferated in our gut determines some of our appetites. So we have the good microbiome. They actually crave good food, and the bad microbiome craves the bad stuff. So it's so interesting, and that relates directly to your overall health. So... But uh, to your point, feeding responsibility to another person yeah. that doesn't live with you, you know, doesn't really know you that well, and you're the person that's going to have the consequences, not them. Right. Um, how much, you know, you go to the doctor, how much time are they spending with you when you're there? Yeah. You know, so that 60 seconds is good for you for the next year and, and then you're going to go back and get another 60 seconds and another 60 seconds or make your own personal investment and take control of your health, your body. You know, this is something interesting in, in uh, my dealings with workers' compensation post-injury management. One of the things I help clients with is I educate them on outcomes. You know, there are certain surgeries that are there that people knew the success rate how low it was for that wow. surgery, they would never do it. I know. But in their mind, oh, I'm, they're going to fix me mm. with this surgery, right? Okay. And uh, carpal tunnel is a famous one, right? Yep. How many surgeries have people had with that? And, you know, there's not much space here already. We go in there and surgically repair something, and scar, any scar tissue that forms, which is going to happen, now the space is even more compromised because right. the problem in the first place and it gets exacerbated and it's just over and over again. If people knew the success rate of that surgery, how many would be spending that month? Right? They'd look for they'd look for um, other alternative means right. that are <laughs> not invasive. Yeah. And oh, I have to go and repeat that. Yeah, you're gonna have to repeat that. However, we're going to keep you natural and keep you healthy and keep you flowing instead of having a surgery that now you have to live with for the rest of your life because it's not reversible, right? 100%. That physician is not living with the outcome of that surgery. You are. And if you go into surgery and you read the fine print, what does it say about the outcome, right? What does it say? So read the fine print. And uh, people don't want to read it. They don't want to read it. So it's funny. Years ago, I remember going in and uh, potentially looking at the vasectomy, right? Right. So I go in, and it was creepy. I'm just telling you right now, it was creepy. I know. And okay, here, read this pamphlet. So I read the pamphlet, <laughs> and then I come out, and they said, okay, well, uh, we need to do a physical exam, see where your vast deference is, and so see how involved the surgery would be. So, you know, drop your shorts. Okay. wasn't going in the office expecting to have to drop my shorts. <laughs> so I have to drop my shorts. And uh, I remember there was a student doctor with the position, and so that felt as if it was okay. Yeah. So he said, do you have any questions? Do you want to get the schedule? And I was like, yeah, I have questions. He said, well, what's your question? 
I said, well, according to this, <laughs> according to this uh, document here, it was like it was like eight out of ten. It was somewhere between seven and eight out of ten people had um, complications slash you know side effects from the surgery, and then it listed what they were. Yeah. And he's like, well. I don't know where they get those statistics. You know, he said, if I had those outcomes, I'd be, I wouldn't even be in the business. I said, American Medical Association, that's your data. <laughs> if 100 men are standing against the wall, 70 of them have. A, I said, I got to tell you, if I was having some of these side effects, I'd come find you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. You know, you know, it wouldn't be a good conversation. I can't walk around like that for the rest of my life. Are you that's kidding right. me? Yeah. No. Did you ask them if you could pull your shorts up first before they did the question? Because sometimes people are so insensitive. It's like. Hey, it was just creepy. I didn't like it. And the data didn't support having that procedure done, and I did not. And I talked to a friend of mine afterwards about it. He was like, oh, you know, now that you mentioned it. You know, and he started talking about the after effects of the surgery he had decades ago. Like, no. You know what? I'm really glad that you that you mentioned that because there's there's so many things that get done to people um, on on parts of our anatomy. I mean, every part of our anatomy is important, but it, when it comes to our sexuality and the freedom, this is Freedom Friday. The freedom to be able to be intimate and to perform is so compromised. I mean, the way that a woman births her babies, you can you can ruin a woman's anatomy in that birthing process with an episiotomy, which, you know, people say, oh, no, we had to do an episiotomy to enlarge the opening. Otherwise, the child would have never been born. Really? How the world get so populated if it's so freaking complicated? I mean, give me a break. I mean, it's sort of a, a miraculous, not sort of, it's a miraculous feat that we can have a human being coming through a little tiny passageway anyway. So don't tell me that all these things you got to do. That's like saying we got to split the person in half in order to, you know, have the baby crawl through. So people don't realize that there's all these implications. You know, I've had a lot of men in my, in my work over the years who have come to me and said, you know, I've got prostate issues and I, and I, and I, and, and they're already down the channel with their physicians in a very traditional way. And now, you know, they found that they want to do this and, you know, they're telling me I have cancer and it's only stage one. It's my numbers are off. It's not really cancer, but they're thinking, well, we better do this thing. So they're going to do a surgery and then they're going to do radiation and they're going to do chemo. Okay. Have you, have you had a conversation with your physician about this? And I have a lot of, a lot of people who I work with, I do medical advocacy. So I'll have them sign the medical release. And I will befriend the physician so that we can have a good working rapport. And I will and I will ask physicians. This isn't a slam on physicians. It's just reality. Some of my best friends are physicians. <laughs> and business partners. But holy cow, man. I call them up and say, you know, so have you told this gentleman about the impotence that he will have as a consequence of all this? Now, I really didn't want to talk about that. Well, I'll tell you what, then you're going to have to release me to talk about it because if you think I'm going to look at somebody square across the table or over a Zoom cam and not reveal to them 
I know you want to feel better. I know you want to quit peeing so often. You want to trade that for your sexual performance for the rest of your life? I mean, this is insanity. And, they, and, and they, you know, people who go in for back surgeries, I, I'm working in a medical practice right now and, and teaching people about their mind-body connections to an integrative uh, education. And I had a woman in there. She's only in her 30s, Charlie. And she's had back pain and neck pain. So they're doing nerve ablations. And she wanted to know what I thought of that. And I said, well, what do you think of it? She said, I think it's kind of a weird thing. And I said, then why are you doing it? Because I can't stand the pain. Okay. What all have you tried? Well, I tried some other medications. Okay. Would you like to try some things that you can do with your mind that are going to impact your body? Would you like to try that? Would you know? Have you ever tried, you know, different things with Pilates and yoga and physical therapy and an integrative approach like that? And you know, by the way, how's your diet? Oh my God, the diet. Yeah, it's it's fine because I'm getting like the salad on my Big Mac. Yeah, it's it's things to where there's just our body's very dynamic and capable, but it needs it needs it needs care. And if we don't give it care, then it starts to malfunction and not perform. And so, so many of these things where someone says, "Hey, my back's bothering me," my back's bothering me, and then they're you know they've got uh, you know especially I see this a lot in men where you know it looks like they're it looks like they're nine months pregnant, right? Yeah. And then and they say, "Oh, my low back's bothering me." Well, it should be. Yeah. Right, because you're you throwing off the, 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 the kinesiology and, and your body is biomechanically not performing yeah. as it's designed to do. So you have that. I mean, I know when I go to the gym and you ever heard of farmers walks? Oh my goodness, yes. So this gym I go to has a track and it's indoors, it's 200 meters around. And so, the, and so it's upstairs, so you have to go up two big flights of stairs. There's probably, I guess it's probably 30 stairs to get to the top. And then there's cardio equipment up there, and then there's this track around the outside of the gym. So downstairs is where all the weight equipment is and the kettlebells and the, the dumbbells. And so I use dumbbells because what I found is that they're harder to balance than the kettlebell. keeps everything nice and centered with that dumbbell. Uh, as you get fatigued, so you grab <clears throat> 10 pounds, let's say 10 pounds on chance. No big deal. But you go up those stairs and start walking around that track, all of a sudden that 20 pounds, you're starting to feel like, what? What is this going on? You're starting sweating. It's just 20 pounds. And so can you imagine carrying an extra 50, 60 pounds and all day? Not just because I go put it down and you know, after, I don't know, 400 meters, let's say, then I go get to 20, and I got 40 pounds in each hand. And uh, you know what? It's starting to work. And so when when I get, uh, I remember my son, he was like 20 years old at the time. And so we grab, I said, well, let's grab the 40s, and, you know, we'll do a lap. <laughs> okay. So he takes them off. He takes off. He's up there. He's really walking back. And so I'm behind him, and I'm walking at my pace. 
one hand of him. There's his top. And I'm catching up to him, then he picks him up and starts walking in. There's his top. I passed him. <laughs> he stopped two more times. Of course, you know, mm-hmm. he was probably 180 at the time, but he had to stop. Yeah. Because he wasn't used to it, and it was really like, now I'm sure he could, you know, he's bigger and stronger now. I'm sure he could smoke that. Thing. Oh, yeah. His father completely taught him the best lesson ever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he thought he'd smoke you. Oh, my oh, goodness. Yeah. Did he think he, he would smoke you? Yeah. You know, he was 50 meters ahead of me. Yeah. And uh, it was so funny, but that extra weight. Yeah. And so people don't. So to realize how how much that's taxing oh the cardiovascular systems. I know. Uh, I mean, what is the stat on for every pound of body weight you're over? It's my it's just like miles. How many miles of extra blood vessels that are capillaries, artery, all these things that are there to transport and oxygenate your your body? And so, literally, when you lose that extra body fat, I'm talking specifically, I'm not talking about weight, I'm talking about body fat, that excess, your body has an easier time of supplying nutrients to to the rest of your system, so it it doesn't have to work as hard, so you're really making your body work a lot harder for no reason, and then of course, you know, over time, that has a negative impact on your longevity and quality of life, so it's so important, and I don't I don't understand why in our society we're too busy to recognize that and take ownership of that. And you can see the people you do and don't. Here's one, something interesting. I've not been to Europe. I've been to Canada a couple of times. I've not been to Europe. And my sister's been over there a couple of times. And she says, you know the thing about it, Charlie? She says, you go to Europe, she says, it's easy to spot the Americans. Yeah, it is. They're all fat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Over this Corona, I call it Corona Barona because I'm so defiant of the whole thing. <laughs> During this, 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 whatever all this is and the social unrest, I have been pretty insulated. I mean, even going back and forth between Chicago and St. Louis, I'm still insulated when I'm there. Like I work with people, and then I'm by myself. You know. And this solo life is really, it's not healthy for me, really. I'm trying to make it healthy. Doing these daily shows has made a huge impact. Hallelujah. And, and like, it's hard to get me on the phone because I want to do a Zoom call. You know, I want to be, come on over. Come on in. It's so, it's so sickening. And I'm used to being a hostess. I'm like the domestic diva. I love everything domestica. Well, I put on weight. And I got to tell you what, I was I was feeling kind of proud of myself for a while because I've spent a lot of my life being svelte, you know, and feeling good about myself. Well, now I'm on camera every day and I'm thinking, hey, chunk of do. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing? Well, I was watching a movie, you know, myself. And so, you know, and then I think, yeah, you know, cut it out. You know, so I'm. I've had to I've had to grab hold of myself and really seriously, part of my grabbing hold of myself was designing being on the air every day, visiting with people who are smarter than me, uh, more energized than me, in better shape than me, and I mean like I'm just getting inspired every day, thinking, go, <laughs> let's do it, because 
that farmer's walk, it's like a Frankenstein walk. And so I had lunch with this wonderful gentleman, and he said to me, we had to go down, we had to go down a flight of stairs. Well, you know, some of it is these bifocals that I wear, and the other is that my legs are just so tight. And so going down the stairs, I just sort of go down at a little bit of an angle instead of straight forward, you know. I remember the days when I could just, like, go down every other step and just run down the steps. Well, somehow that's not happening. And so he says to me, are you okay? Do you, like, have a problem with your knees? And I said, no. I said, I, 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 had, a little, I had a little accident. I ran into a piece of furniture in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Liar. <laughs> And I was so embarrassed, and I thought, I don't care if I'm 87. I, I will always be too young to be invalidated by being an invalid, by being, like, you know, like uh, ancient, you know? I mean, it's just, and it's so stupid because, quite frankly, it doesn't take anything negative to get yourself into great shape and be in phenomenally good health, right? Sure. I mean, it, you, you, you really have to be a jerk to do the things that you do that make you unhealthy. I, you know, like I have people who I love dearly, and I ask them, so how you feeling? Oh, you know, I don't know, I feel kind of sluggish today. Well, what did you eat yesterday? Well, not much. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't that hungry. I got, I got kind of hungry during the night, though. What would you get up and eat? Well, I had some cookies, and then I had a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> what you do that for? Why didn't you get up and drink water? Now I have to get up and pee. What did you think was going to happen with the cookies and the ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think about these things, and, and, you know, one of the things that I've mentioned before is that beautiful book, it started out as a poem by Dorothy Law Nolte. Children learn what they live, right? We're all children. We learn what we live. We see on TV all these commercials. You know, have a Coke, have a Big Mac, uh, come to Chick-fil-A, you know, do all these things. Well, but wait a second. To what degree and how and, and what is the consequence? I actually went into a guy's office for a meeting and he had literally, truly a display of what he had bought at McDonald's like 11 years before. It was still in no, no mold. Fries and a Big Mac. It's on YouTube. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so it's just, it's just sitting there. <laughs> Didn't even stink. <laughs> Who was that? Do you remember this? It was, uh, I can't remember if it was, it was one around Facebook. I can't remember if it was a video or just a picture and the article. Yeah. It was a mother who had got ice cream for her daughter. Yeah. And then, you know, it got to be nap time and her daughter had set the little, it was like an ice cream pop and she like set it on a, a little table outside. Yeah. So she put her down for her nap. Well, when she came back outside later, the mother noticed that the ice cream had not melted. And she's like, what is in this oh to keep God. it from melting? And is that really something that I want to 
especially like, you know, when she started watching it, I mean, it didn't melt. There's something wrong there. You know, very wrong, right? Very it, wrong. It was a warm day and it didn't melt. And so then it started her, you know, what we need to do, the ingredients, what's in there, what are we actually putting in our body and is it good for us? Yeah. And this assumption that nothing will get on the shelf harmful for you yeah. is a misconception. There's plenty of evidence out there and and uh, every once in a while things end up in a class action lawsuit, but that's so arduous that that doesn't happen as often as it probably should, right? right? And so, again, we have to take control and understand our body, our health, and really do the homework into where this, these things are coming from. Is it even really food? And uh, that's, that's really important to do uh, nowadays. I think, you know, when I was growing up 50 years ago, not so much, you know, but, but uh, right. That's right. food industry and, and there's so much, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an aisle full of Doritos and things like that 50 years ago. We also didn't have anything called organic because everything was just organic. Right. It was. It was just organic. Right. Yeah. So, and so things have changed so drastically and dramatically. So that's why it's important for people to really look. You know, here's the other thing too. Uh, I want to mention, I got another note that another player former teammate, college football player had passed away. And I think he was maybe 55. Oh, Charlie. Gone. So I'm like, wow, I had lost track of it. Yeah. And uh, so then I'm like, well, let me see if I can find this. Page. And it was just another teammate that I was connected to that mentioned it. So then I was like, well, let me find this Facebook page. And that's when I found the Facebook page. I mean, and again, he was probably it was well over 400 pounds. Oh, my and gosh. All the, the majority of the people that I um, played with that are already deceased, the common denominator was, you know, they were in, um, they're they overweight, significantly overweight. And, uh, you know, these guys, I mean, for somebody to, I remember one of my teammates, he played at around 190. Then we had a reunion, wow, probably 14 years ago. He didn't come. I was like, man, why didn't he come? Oh, man, you don't know? No, I don't know. He's 350 pounds. And I'm like, so here's this preseason All-American. Just I remember him in the locker room. He looked like an anatomy chart. Wow. You know, he was that. Just chill. Looked like, literally looked like, and he had, he was very light-skinned. And very thin skin, so I mean, you could see every muscle, you know. And to go from that to, you know, being 150, 160 pounds overweight is, is amazing. And and so that's a common denominator, you know, uh, in the people that I've that I've seen that have passed away prematurely. I and mean, the first teammate that died that I knew of, he was 40, four zero. Oh my lord! Oh, I'm like what? You know, and it just, and of course, I know every year there's going to be more people on that list, but at, at 55, 56, that should not be the case. Not, 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 not here. You know, <clears throat> I have people that I work with who are very young, they're in their 20s, and it's, 
it's tragic what's happened. You know, when I see kids that are really fat, I think to myself, you're supposed to be out running and playing and and not being able to carry any extra weight on your frame. I mean, there's absolutely no reason for this. <clears throat> I um I love the community that that I have in both St. Louis and Chicago because in Chicago it's a lot of athletics on the waterfront, walking and swimming, walking across the sand, walking through the parks that are along the lakefront. In St. Louis, it's people who love Forest Park, which is uh, one of the oldest parks in the country, from the built for the 1904 World's Fair. It's a seven-mile square city park. People bicycle and golf and run and walk and you know, just it, it, a lot of athleticism. And so you see a lot of people in really great shape, and that's so inspiring. And then you see children participating. That's really inspiring. But this this reality of how fat we are, this whole reality of diabetes and prediabetes and how, how tragic that is, it's just there's, there's, there's no – reason for it. When I, when I'm, you know, I became a, a nutritionist, a, a holistic nutritionist when I was 19. I was in fabulous shape. I had been a runner, a figure skater, and a gymnast, and a swimmer. I mean, I love all the athleticism. And um, I could tell people at that point in time, this is decades ago, Okay, here's how you're feeling. Here's here's your symptomology. Here's the foods that you need to eat because a banana's got this many milligrams of potassium in it, and an apple's got this, and an orange has got that. And I could tell them, but now I can't do that because the food is so off. But what I do tell people is the ways in which to eat so that you're getting fresh foods. You know, keep it simple. Having a healthy diet is not complicated. Keep it fresh. Keep it natural. That's it processed, don't go down those aisles. Like, don't go down the Doritos aisle. Don't go down the soda pop aisle. Um, or some people call it sody. <laughs> sody. Don't go down the carbonated beverages aisle, you know, and and just stay away. And, and when it comes to alcohol, you know, just stay away from the aisles. Go to all the places, you know, the, the seafood counter, the meat aisle and the fruits and vegetables and okay so if you go to the the bakery place you know get some really hearty breads and then get the heck out of there well it's too expensive to buy fruits and vegetables how much does it cost you for lettuce as opposed to a bag of doritos and by the way how much do the prescriptions cost What junk food is going to do to you? What would they go bad so fast? Eat them. (laughs) Say you've had Doritos in your cabinet for a year. Okay. Yeah, you want to put that in your body now. It's simple. We just need to just do it. I've been, I've just been, I've been, every day now I look in the mirror and I say, Deb Carlin, what are you doing in there? Come on. You don't want to do you don't want to do the Frankenstein walk. You call it the farmer walk. I I look at people. Do you know how many people are out here walking around? You know, women used to have these little tiny waists. You know, 
and and they didn't look skinny. I mean, people talk about how like thin is really a, a disorder now, and no, it's not. Go back and look at the movies from the 40s and the 50s. My goodness, you know, like June Cleaver, what you know, like in a waist like little teeny tiny, the size of most people's thighs now. And you know, men were really slender. I mean, you look at Cary Grant; he was really slender. People just didn't eat junk. When we eat junk, we look like junk. We need to cut it out. Yeah, we need to cut it out. And and it and you know, here's the thing: what does it do to our brain? You know, the fuel that we need to keep our brain really sharp and keep ourselves really intact is so essential. And people, you know. Charlie, this whole thing with our health, I think I think early on we might have talked about the virus and the ways in which there was a spike in um, the request for uh, prescriptive drugs for anxiety and depression. I looked at those numbers again. You know, they're consistent of 18 to like 34% increase in prescriptions written for that. And we're hearing more and more about suicides. And it's just, it's breaking my heart. I mean, I, I, I watched the news for a few minutes this morning, and I heard about a police officer who was killed yesterday, and, and, and his, um, one of his fellow police officers, might have been his partner, <clears throat> committed suicide. It was like, this is too much. This is too much. I'm done. It's never going to stop. I'm out of here. It's overwhelmed. And, I'm, you know, I see police officers in the practice that I work in, and, and uh, you know, they're all suffering with this overwhelm. And these are people who are in great physical condition for the most part, particularly the guys who are on the front line. But they're starting to eat junk. They're looking for that escape. You know, they're, they're not sleeping well. They're on 12-hour shifts. They're under tremendous stress. Oh, geez, can the news media please dial in? And, and can the leadership there have compassion and love for the audience and for all of America and say, we got to use the media outlets to teach people about healthfulness? Yeah. Yeah, I'm really, I'm just, I've never, I've never had a specific opinion about the media, but this last year, I'm really disappointed, and I think that uh, they've done our our country such a disservice, and there's no excuse for that that have taken place. And and I think, um, yeah, with our law enforcement, before all this, before all this, that was one of the highest stress-related jobs in America. Yeah. Also associated with a high suicide rate before this. And so <clears throat> I want to tell you, anyone that, that thinks that we don't need the police is really fooling themselves. And if the police ever decide to go home, this this union will fall apart. Yeah, well. I'm telling you right now, will fall apart. That's how important they are. Do we need to... to to do things better? Absolutely. Do we need to weed out bad apples? Absolutely. <clears throat> but that's the minority, not the majority of law enforcement. Here's the other thing I'll add to that. Before, and I remember getting a call after 
Kansas State Safety and Health Conference I spoke at, this was last fall. Mm-hmm. Canceled this year by the, by the keynote last fall. And so I remember a lady came up to me and said, hey, I like your card. I have an idea. I want to speak with you. So she calls me. She was a nurse advocate. And basically, like you did, advocating for patients and, and that's kind of her space now. But she said that, I don't know if you know, excuse me, she said, I don't know if you know this, but the suicide rate among healthcare professionals is skyrocketing. It's really bad. She says, I had a physician friend that committed suicide. And another, like she was naming all these physicians that they committed suicide and the burnout rate for nurses was so high. Yeah. And then they were having suicide as well. This is before COVID. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what people don't understand is that because of how insurance is changing, all of these factors is that hospitals are running on these crews. They don't have extra staff walking around. So physicians and the nurses are already maxed out before this. And so the system is not structured to take any influx. So they talk about, oh, you know, hospitals being overrun with COVID patients. If we had a bad flu season, it would overrun the hospitals. If we had a bad season for whooping cough for kids, it'll overrun them. They're not equipped for any kind of spike. They're not not set up for it. So but the media portrays that in this way. Oh, COVID's overrunning hospitals. No, they're already maxed out. Before anything happened, they're already running on a ragged edge. Okay? It's even tougher in the nursing home. Right? Because their budget's even more restricted. You know, and oh, by the way, that's the most highly regulated industry in the nation. Right? is elderly care. So long-term. And uh, so you have all these things that are, that are in this mix. And so we really had a a tipping point when it comes to these things because people aren't going into the nurse. There's a shortage. Before COVID, there's a nursing shortage. People are, are not going into the profession or they're getting out of the profession because of the stress level before all of this. So this is significant. These are significant issues, significant challenges that that we can only solve together. And we can't solve those by by um throwing gasoline onto a fire that was burning before COVID. It was already burning. So this is this is this is significant. This is not um, people that sleep on this are not really taking it seriously or not understanding what the potential consequences of of this has. And I think anything that COVID has taught us is how quick things can change. And so um, I think we're just, we're there and we really, you know, we've, we've used up a lot of our rope. And so we're here now where we, we need to be positive, make positive change. You know, you just gave me an inspiration on something, Charlie. Um, I, you're talking about if there's anything that COVID has taught us is, you know, we're stretched. Actually, you made it clear. I'm just going to articulate it a little bit differently. What this, what this uh, virus has taught us is that we were stretched way out way before. You know, I remember a time when you would go into the hospital and, and I'm always checking on what uh, uh, patient to care provider ratios are. 
And it used to be like one nurse maybe for four patients. And it quickly went up to one to nine to one to 11. When I've had patients in the hospital, when I've had loved ones in the hospital, I um, and somebody, by the way, is a patient for me. If I am, if I am in possession of their um, medical chart, and I'm reviewing, and I am advocating. So I don't pretend I'm a physician, but I'm certainly coordinating the 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 things that I know as a doctor of psychology and as a mind body practitioner. What it is I know is going to be helpful, and it's all kinds of things. But when when I have uh, Patients in the hospital and the ratios are way off. I absolutely insist that we're hiring private duty. I mean, you can't you can't afford to not have somebody sitting in there. And by the way, what they've done in healthcare right now during this virus, where you can't have anybody coming in to visit, they're full of hot air. Yes, they can. And and everybody who's been in my care, I have said, uh, you absolutely are not as the hospital in any position to say that this person is is in complete lockdown. No law is going to defend you. You cannot stop their loved one or me from being in here. You just can't. It, that's not even that's not even a consideration. You can intimidate people into that, but you can't do that. And by the way, when nursing homes and assisted living facilities did that, there's not one single human being on the on the planet on the planet earth who can tell me that we can ignore the death rate of our elderly is not involving loneliness and extreme despair and depression. In mind-body medicine, when we have pneumonia, that is massive grief. And the comorbidity of people who are dying supposedly of this virus, and we're not looking at their depression and their loneliness and their, their heartache, all the pictures on social media and on the news that absolutely crushed my spirit were the, the people with their hands on the glass looking at loved ones on the outside or the inside or through plastic being able to hug. No. And, and you know, my parents are both gone, but when they were here and they would be in the hospital, you know, and I'd be, you know, out of town and I'd get back and they were in the hospital or they would have been transferred from the rehab facility, not a rehab facility, excuse me, it's a nursing home. I would bust them out. No, we're going home. And people say, how can you do that? It's expensive. Isn't it inconvenient? Inconvenient? Doesn't my lifestyle accommodate it? I will change my lifestyle for someone that I love. You know, I'm not leaving. You know, you talk about the nursing home industry being really regulated. Yeah, but we've got litigation up the one side and down the other with people who are abused there. You know, when we're talking about ferreting out of the police force, the good from the bad, we have a world, you know, let's just stay in the United States of America. We have the United States of America where we better figure out how we're going to end this cycle of bad neighborhoods, schools that fail, and, and families that are broken. So we have children being born into loving environments and people who are living their life in a neighborhood where they're in their home and they feel safe. Because unless we do that and we're putting people into schools that they can walk to and it's safe and those schools are our are, 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 um, investments of our culture 
and of our of our of our money of our of our tax dollars and the way that they're allocated at, you know and we're living the abundance that this country produces we're losing because people grow up angry people grow up naive people grow up ignorant we need people growing up smart and loved that's how we don't get bad eggs I can't believe I went on that rant, but I did. Now we've got two minutes left. Woo! We got the solutions. We are the news. We are the news. Get off the media. Come over here. We got the news for you. And we got a plan, gosh darn it, don't we? Absolutely. Dr. Charlie, it's been a pleasure being here with you this morning. What a great conversation. Don't we just, like, get into it? Yeah, it's always good. And these are really important topics for people to really dive into, you know, go out and do some research and understand. Um, your freedom. Learn, learn for yourself and, and uh, what's best for your body and your mind and, and apply those things. That's right. And um, I think that when people go out and really do their own research, that their eyes will become open to, wow, you know, uh, this isn't in my best interest over here, and I need to really take control of of my body and what goes in there and who makes those decisions, right? That's right. So this is this is your <laughs> perfect timing. This is your host and co-host, Dr. Deb Carlin and Dr. Charlie Cartwright on the K Factor, where K equals kindness and the factors are all the things that lead to it. And today we brought you a lot of factors. So, Charlie, hang with me for a minute while I close out this recording. Peace out, everybody. We'll see you in a week. Okay. Here we go. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.